Um, before I begin on chapter six, um, I just wanted to mention the uh, the uh, translation of the um, Nagarjuna um, root of the middle way. Uh, Stephen Batchelor's book is called Verses from the Center, not Voices from the Center. Verses. Uh, so I just uh, looked it up uh, today. So I'm not still not sure whether we have copies in the library, but uh, uh, it's. Um, uh, I would recommend. Is it at least one? Okay, good. <laughs> I knew somebody would. Well, I hope someone would look it up. Thank That's you. Also, uh, before beginning on this chapter, um, another of the things in terms of that um, that teaching to um, uh, uh, Kachana and where the Buddha says um, the uh, this by um, uh, say all exists Kachana. This is one extreme. All does not exist. This is the other extreme. Without veering towards either of these extremes, the Tathagata teaches the Dhamma by the middle way, and then goes into teaching dependent origination. What, one of the things that um, uh, came to mind, also speaking about that, was uh, a point that I was um, uh, uh, d- talking about with the um, novices and anagarikas, anagarikas, uh, a few weeks ago. Is the the approach that you have in the Pali Canon uh, towards uh, the origins, uh, the kind of origin stories, is very different than you, we have in most religions. Like pretty much every religion around the world, uh, world religions or local religions, tribal religions, uh, pretty much every kind, they have a story of where we came from. But what uh, what was our origins? People have that question: Where did we come from? And so there's the like you have in the Book of Genesis, in the um, uh, the the Bible. Uh, of um, the creation of the universe and so forth, and uh, so most uh, most mythologies have a, an origin story of that nature, and uh, <clears throat> the the origin stories and also religious teachings they generally are trying to serve three questions in my reckoning of things. First one, where do we come from? Second, where are we going? And third, what am I supposed to do now? Okay, where do we come from? Where are we going, and what am I supposed to do now? And so, usually, where we come from is fairly fixed in most religious models. Um, where are we going usually has a couple of options: either up or down, <laughs> <laughs> or around and around. Uh, and so, um, but there's some sort of um, pointing towards a, a future, or what's the, the sort of the ultimate, go- uh, you know, fate of all beings or the universe and such like. And then, what am I supposed to do now? Then that revolves around the the words of that particular uh, teacher or prophet, or, or the the local uh, customs and forms that the uh, the, the tribe uh, tribal society adopt as uh, skillful ways to live as a human being. So the the Buddha, um, even though you do have uh, an origin story, a sort of universal origin myth of kind of a kind, in the Pali Canon. Um, it's called the uh, Aganya Sutta. The origin uh, when the Buddha describes you know, when a, uh, uh, how a universe comes into being, he says that uh, there's um, rather there's a model of universes sort of coming into being, reaching uh, reaching a full extent of, of expansion, like a big bang reaches a limit, then there's a big crunch and it collapses, and then there's a big bang and uh, it reaches uh, a limit, then collapses. So it's, the, the phrase that's used is many cycles of universal expansion, many cycles of universal contraction, 
many cycles of universal uh, expansion and contraction. So he does talk about that in many places, and in particular in the Aganya Sutta, he describes how um, uh, when, a, when a universe collapses, then uh, uh, and, uh, and the, uh, um, the current universe comes to an end, he said, most beings are born in the Abhasara, Brahma realms, like one of the higher um, Brahma realms, the realm of streaming radiance and, and above, so that all, all beings um, <clears throat> at the end of a physical universe, all, and all the lower planes of existence collapse as well, but there's a, a number of high Brahma realms, so all beings uh, spend that kind of intermediary period, sort of between universes in the high Brahma realms. Uh, and then when a, a new universe begins, boom, there's a big bang, and uh, another universe comes into being, then the other lower realms start forming, and then he describes how beings are born in successively lower realms and then come into the material world and how human beings appear. But it's interesting in terms of uh, mythology that that's not given a particularly central position in terms of the Pali canon. It's not. It's, it's there, but it's not made a lot of in terms of Buddhist teachings or Buddhist tradition. There's no Buddhist culture that says, this is the most important story, uh, whether it's in Japan or China or Tibet or Mongolia or uh, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand. Uh, India, uh, you know, anywhere that, that it's there, but it's not a central story. But what you do have is the dependent origination. So rather than where do living beings and life and mind and, and matter come from, it's where does dukkha come from? And so it's like not where do, where, where do we as, as living beings come from, but where does dukkha come from? Um, and then oh, the, um, uh, then the, the prospect, uh, um, where is it going? Well, it can, <laughs> dukkha can, uh, can uh, ripen in two ways, either in uh, further dukkha, and going around the, um, the cycle of, uh, of attachment and rebirth, or it can uh, ripen in, in uh, faith and the search for, the, for liberation, dukkha niroda. So that's what the, the prospect that we have to look forward to, uh, dukkha niroda, cessation of dukkha, or more dukkha. <laughs> and... Uh, and then what we are supposed to do now then is uh, that's pointed to in that um, second noble truth, which is to let go of, uh, of craving, to uh, let go of, of uh, the different kinds of tanha, craving and, uh, and attachment. So that the Buddha brings it down far more, to, rather than being on a sort of mythological cosmic level, he brings it down to uh, what we can experience here and now. And that there's, where, um, where does dukkha come from? Yeah, uh, how is it going to ripen in the future? Um, rather than talking about some sort of golden age or or being some being uh, uh, you know, liberated or, or going off to heaven eventually, um, <clears throat> the uh, the way that it ripens is, is well, it's it's up to you. If you do the right thing, then suffering will cease. <laughs> if you don't do the right thing, it won't cease. <laughs> if you keep creating the causes for it, then then rebirth will keep happening. But if the if the if the uh, that experience of dukkha is is worked with in the appropriate way, if dukkha is understood, and then its causes let go of, then its cessation will be be realized. So it's a a, a very uh, a different. It's a much more local and tangible, uh, say, um, way of relating to that um, say uh, spiritual 
map, spiritual landscape. And that particular teaching to, to uh, Mahakachana uh, remind, uh, reminds me of that, that the, the Buddha is talking about, well, don't, don't worry about existence and non-existence. Um, what matters is when, when there's ignorance, <laughs> that leads to uh, craving and, uh, and, uh, if, uh, and, to, and to dukkha. But when, that, when there's no ignorance or when that, that craving is let go of, then dukkha stops, and that's what's uh, that's what is the most important thing. So let's go on to. Just wanted to put that into the mix. So any questions or thoughts on that before I continue? Yes. I was always a bit kind of uh, um, curious about you know Ramanashi, Ramanashi Is that so? <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> well, you can be sure that there's a story that he said that, whether it's true or not. Uh, is uh, is another thing. But, uh, I find it a little bit hard to to give credit to, but uh, sometimes when you you talk about animals, and especially if you talk about the animal realm as being a, an inferior birth, people say, "My cat is very very spiritual." I just, <laughs> you know, I I feel very upset hearing you talk about the animal realm. My cat is far more spiritual than I am, you know? <laughs> and I'm not joking. That people sometimes are really really upset they, they feel that you know my dogs are different so uh, it's not just an english issue <laughs> we do love our pets in this country but uh, uh, anyway i i reserve judgment on that i have great respect for sri ramana uh, maharshi but um, that uh, it's one of the mysterious issues anyway let's go on to chapter six this is called atamayatha not made of that As the final part of our investigation into the conditioned world, we will take a look at Atamayata, a term from the Pali Canon that has become somewhat obscure over the centuries. However, it defines a quality crucial to the realization of spiritual freedom. The word literally means, quote, not made of that, unquote. But it can be rendered in many different ways, giving it a variety of subtle shades of meaning. Bhikkhu Bodhi and Bhikkhu Nyanamoli, in their translation of the Majjhima Nikaya, render it as non-identification, focusing on the subject side of the equation. Other translators have it as, quote, non-fashioning, unquote, or unconcoctability, quote, unquote. To concoct is to put together, like to mixing up a medicine or mixing up a salad or a a, a, a magical potion um, 
to, to so something that can't be concocted or can't be put together or, or uh, is is not formable in that way. So unconcoctability, thus hinting more at the object dimension of it. So non-identification, talking about not forming an eye and non-fashioning or non-unconcoctability, not forming a, an object. Thus hinting more at the object dimension of it. Either way, it refers primarily to the quality of experience prior to or without a subject-object duality arising. So it's referring to a kind of a quality of a, of awareness <laughs> that uh, is um, free from the subject-object duality. So it's rather than than a, a an aware agent uh, uh, attentive to a, a separate object. It's where it's an awareness where subject-object division collapses. So one way of re referring to it is. Uh, awareness that is aware of itself. I'll let that hang there for a bit. <laughs> so it's a kind of uh, self-aware quality, an awareness that, that knows it's aware, but uh, with that, without creating a, 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 an inside-outside subject-object division. As described in the comprehensive essay by Bhikkhu Santikaro, which comprises the first of our passages in this chapter, it was Ajahn Buddha Dasa who was largely responsible for bringing this term into the public eye in recent years. Although, it should also be noted that Bhikkhu Nyanananda, uh, who's a Sri Lankan monk, a very eminent and uh, uh, brilliant scholar, writer, and meditator, in his influential little book, The Magic of the Mind, first published in 1974, gave the subject of Atamayata significant attention. And that we quote some passages from that later on in this chapter. Ajahn Buddhadasa spent the last three or four years of his life discoursing on this word, proclaiming it to be, quote, the ultimate Buddhist concept, unquote. He felt it to be of such significance and subtlety that he placed it at the head of his, lift, of his, <laughs> at the head of his list of nine insights, which he saw as comprising all the dimensions of the practice of wisdom. In a play on the Thai word ta, meaning I, he described these nine modes of contemplation, whose Pali names all end in ta, as being the eyes through which the, uh, to view the very nature of all experience. Atamayata is described as, quote, the final divorce from the deluded sense of I and mine. And he, he goes into that, that word play a little bit more as we go along. But the, So the, the, the word in Thai for, an, uh, for, an, uh, for the eye is ta. Uh, when ta is glasses, so ta is, and then when you in Pali when you represent the quality of something, so anicca is an adjective. It means impermanent. Anicca ta means impermanence. Uh, sunya means empty. Sunya ta means emptiness. So that ta at the end is what uh, makes it into a noun or a, a quality. What, not to get too lost in grammar, but in English that's called an adjectival noun. So you start off with an adjective, like empty, and then you make it into a thing, emptiness. So that uh, that ta, the t with a long a at the end, that's how in Pali you, you make a uh, an adjectival noun. So, uh, so dukkha is um, unsatisfactory, dukkata is unsatisfactory 
ness sunya or um, uh, anatta means not self anatata means not self ness so when you uh, um, when you say the the list anicca dukkha anatta that's a list of three adjectives impermanent unsatisfactory and uh, and not self and if you want to talk about them as nouns as qualities anicca dukkha anatata would be how you would say it okay so then he's taking that ta at the end of the Pali and kind of using a, making a play on words that these are the nine ta's that, uh, you, uh, that you see through in order to understand reality um, accurately. So this is an essay by... So Ajahn Buddha Dasa was a very eminent monk, uh, lived in the south of Thailand. He was um, uh, one of very few forest uh, monks living in the south. There was uh, forest monasticism was far more common in the northeast and the, the north of Thailand. Um, uh, but he, um, after a, uh, he was a very gifted uh, and um, comp- uh, very um, say competent scholar of, of uh, Buddha Dhamma. Even when he was very young, I heard that even when he was a novice. He was such a good Dhamma teacher that even when he was like a 16-year-old novice, he was often on the observance day, he was giving three Dhamma talks in different monasteries around the Chaya region of, of southern Thailand. He sort of, and they didn't have cars in those days. He had to sort of get in a... <laughs> he had to walk or... Uh, or, uh, um, uh, or uh, sort of, uh, go um, get a, a, a horse ride or get in a horse and cart and get to the next monastery. But he was a very popular teacher, so he um, went through the usual academic training as a bhikkhu, but then after three or four years, four or five years, he uh, realized, very much like Achan Man, that a lot of the lifestyle being described in the suttas that he was studying was not the way he was living. He was living in a very established monastery and spending all the time studying or learning Pali or... um, uh, teaching and uh, or doing blessings and such like, and he, so he then after about five years as a monk, once he was no longer living in dependence on the teacher, he went off to start his own uh, place, living in the forest and f- trying to live a lifestyle according to the the teachings found in the suttas and the and the vinaya. And so he was then um, he he made friends along the way and was joined by a few others, and so then they uh, one of whom was uh, Lumpur Panyananta who became a very active patron of this monastery after Lumpur Chah's illness. And so many of the pictures, like the opening of the Amravati temple and early years of Amravati, there's a sort of very stately Thai monk up at the front of the line of Sangha, and that was Lumpur Panyananda. So he and Ajahn Buddha Dasa, and, and there was a couple of other monks as well, they started Suanmok Monastery uh, together and were very um, active proponents of this a very practical uh, uh, approach to Dhamma, very much based on suttas and vinaya rather than on the commentaries. And uh, also um, they had a, a very strong um, ethic of going against superstition. And uh, they worked very hard to try and uh, so introduce people in Thailand and, and around the world eventually to the, the treasures that were there in, in Buddhism that people were often unaware of or were ignoring because of the attention going on to um, uh, wanting protective charms and uh, kind of amulets and magical, um, uh, say, uh, say um, approaches or uh, the uh, the kind of um, 
uh, approaches towards spiritual life that are based around, uh, like based around making merit for future lives or protecting yourself against malevolent beings in, from invisible worlds and such like. And so they um, they work very hard to say, don't worry too much about uh, about all this kind of um, superstitious stuff about protections and charms and amulets, but you know, pay attention to the four noble truths. <laughs> you know, look at the, the, the what's really going to help you is is practicing dhamma and living skillfully, keeping the precepts and meditating. So Ajahn Chah was extremely, and, and Ajahn Buddha Das was a very prolific writer. So Ajahn Chah um, knew of Ajahn Buddha Das's work. And also that all the chanting being translated from Pali into Thai, that was all done by Ajahn Buddha Dasa, the translations that people chant. And so Ajahn Chah was very impressed by his scholarship and also the spirit that he was teaching in, and um, and also what he produced in terms of Dhamma texts, um, uh, the the um, drawing on the suttas, and also the the... Uh, the practical approach towards realization, uh, liberation in this lifetime. And uh, also that he was very eclectic. So Ajahn Buddha Dasa, he was uh, open to other religions. He would uh, he gave a whole series of talks at a Christian seminary. In uh, uh, He was invited to, to teach at a, a Jesuit seminary in Thailand. He helped them translate the Bible into Thai. They tried the first attempts to translate the Bible into Thai. They were trying to avoid all Buddhist terms, and since Pali forms about thirty percent of the Thai language, it was really difficult. So they say, so like the Gospel of John apparently began in the beginning was the noun, <laughs> rather than in the beginning was the word. The logos is the 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 uh, the Latin. Anyway, so Ajahn Buddhadasa, being the kind of person that he is, thought. This is awful. <laughs> Can I help? <laughs> and so, uh, so he had a very, a very broad view. So he also was responsible for translating uh, quite a few Zen texts, like the the um, Zen teaching of Huang Po, the teaching of Huineng, the sixth patriarch of of, uh, of Chan Buddhism, and uh, was um, say a, a very active in introducing those uh, other aspects of of uh, the Buddhist world that were unknown in Thailand, largely. Um, and so that he, he had a, a very eclectic approach, which also Ajahn Chah really appreciated and could empathize with. Uh, they never actually met. Ajahn Buddha Dasa built a kuti at uh, the Suomok. Ajahn Chah was always going to go and visit, but he never quite made it. And Ajahn Buddha Dasa was invited to, to Wapapong, but he never quite made it. But they're sort of different ends of the country. And... Uh, at Ajahn Chah's kuti, where he would receive people, like he'd sit on a, this sort of wicker bench uh, under his kuti, and there's a, like an open space where he, he would receive people, and, and the majority of his teaching happened in that spot under his kuti, the open space. The kuti's up on stilts, and there's this open space underneath. There was one picture on the wall behind him, just above his head, and that was a picture of Ajahn Buddha Dasa. That was the only picture on the wall. So uh, and it's right. So when you're you're sitting there listening to Ajahn Chah, he's got Ajahn Buddha Dasa sitting over his head. So he held him in very high esteem, even though Ajahn Chah was not a scholar, was not sort of academically inclined, and he didn't write anything. Ajahn Buddha Dasa wrote like shelves full of books, but the, the, there's a close sort of dhamma relationship between the, the two. So Ajahn Santikaro, who wrote this little essay. Uh, he was an American bhikkhu. He's still alive, but he's not a bhikkhu anymore. Um, 
and he was Ajahn Buddhadasa's uh, main translator into um, uh, from uh, the through the eighties and nineties when uh, when English translations were needed. So this is an, an article that they, he wrote for their magazine, their journal called Evolution Liberation, and this was published in 1989. Atamayata, the rebirth of a lost word. The term Atamayata cannot be found in the Pali Text Society dictionary. Readers will find it difficult to discover references to it in scholarly works, whether they come from West or East. Meditation masters of Tibet, Burma or Zen do not seem to be interested in it. Mention it to most Buddhists and they will not know what you're talking about. Yet there is clear evidence in the Pali Canon that the Buddha gave this word significant meaning. Currently, one of Thailand's most influential monks is teaching that it is, quote, the highest word in Buddhism, the final sword. The sword is that kind of a big knife that sol uh, soldiers use. <laughs> the final sword of Buddhism. Atamayata appears in a number of Pali suttas, and each context suggests that the term has important meaning. The traditional commentator's standard explanation, although vague, describes it, quote, as the awakened state of the Arahant, or fully awakened perfected being. Buddhadasa Bhikkhu from Suanmoka Balarama in southern Siam first took note of this word about 30 years ago. The context in which he found Atamayata convinced him that its meaning is important. As with other terms and teachings found in the Tipitaka, he was careful to look further than the orthodox grammarians, pedants and pundits. He searched for a spiritual meaning on the deepest level possible. We can only speculate as to why Atamayata was left out of the Pali Text Society dictionary, surely not because it's impossible to decipher. A literal analysis gives us a meaning not, ta meaning that, maya meaning to, to make, create or produce, and ta the state of being. Thus Atamayata may be translated as the state of not being made up by or made up from that thing or condition. Or to keep it short, not made of that. A, not, tam, that, maya, made, da, ness. Not made of that, ness. The meaning becomes clearer if we recognize that maya is a synonym for sankhara, to concoct, compound, or condition. Atamayata is unconcoctability a state of mind independent of the objects and conditions of experience. Fully conscious and aware, this mind is not affected by the defilements of greed, anger and delusion. Thus the concept is close in meaning to the adjective visankara, which describes the unconditioned state of Nibbāna. So sankara meaning formed or compounded, created, visankara meaning unformed or uncompounded, uncreated. Clearly, Atamayata is something Buddhists should be aware of. Why does Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu consider Atamayata so important? In the Salayatana Vibhanga Sutta, Majjhima uh, Middle Length Discourses, Sutta number 137, 
the Buddha describes a spiritual progression carried out by, quote, relying on this to give up that, unquote. Relying on the pleasure, pain and equanimity associated with renunciation, one gives up the pleasure and pain associated with worldliness. <coughs> so giving up um, worldly, worldly attitudes by uh, inclining towards renunciation, the letting go and simplicity. Relying on singular or one-pointed equanimity, ekagata upeka, one gives up many-sided or multifaceted equanimity, nanata upeka. Relying on a tamayata, one gives up ekagata upeka. So it's a it's a sort of progressive simplification. So you can say your um, the the mind is is. Um, Starting off in a, with a world, worldly preoccupation, I like this, I don't like that, this is nice, that's nasty, this is beautiful, that's ugly, I like this, I don't like that. So then, uh, uh, renunciation, uh, nekama, is a way of well, not letting your happiness be tied to liking or disliking. It's a, a, an inclination of the heart towards, uh, towards simplicity. And so then, um, the... Uh, as a, the, the the first kind of equanimity, multifaceted equanimity, uh, and there's different ways of interpreting this, but um, it's a it's like so the, what the the first uh, multifaceted equanimity is like yeah all that is happening uh, you know all these different things are happening but the heart is cool in the middle of all that stuff right there's all that all these different things all these different people and activities. And all that's happening, but the heart is is cool, is still in the midst of all that, or is sort of in the midst of a variety. So that's called nanata upeka, multi. So that, and then and that's the sort of the, the first level of withdrawal. Then the next level uh, was called ekagata upeka, one-pointed equanimity, is where all uh, rather than there being the the world or perceptions being seen as as a lot of different things. Then there's a uh, the withdrawal, and well, there's only that. It's all whatever it is. It's all anicca dukkha anatta. It's all just impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. Whether it's likable or unlikable, it's all empty. It's all so that there's a a unity of the object world. Does that make sense? So there's so the first one is uh, there's coolness and stillness in the midst of all that variety. And then, then there's a coolness and stillness when there's uh, uh, there in the midst of just that. You know, there's only that. And that uh, um, there's just the awareness and the, the the quality of equanimity in the face of that. And all that is just anicca dukkha anatta. So there's a unity of experience. You're looking at the commonality, the common qualities of all experience. And then the the uh, the third, uh, the, the final level, is relying on atamayata. Uh, you give up that one, uh, that uh, equanimity based on on unity. So rather than um, then, okay, there's this coolness and stillness in the face of that. Uh, atamayata is there isn't any that. <laughs> there's, there's no there's no that. There's just this. There's just dhamma. There's just the the mind aware of its own nature. So it's a uh, 
it's a sort of progressive refinement from letting uh, letting go of interest in stuff to being uh, uh, aware and peaceful in the midst of all that stuff then just being aware and peaceful in the face of of that the objective realm and then there is no objective realm there's there's no subject object division there's just the mind aware of its own nature or as i said this um <coughs> awareness um okay a self-aware awareness Does that make sense say no if the answer is no this is for you it's not just for me to be because i know i'm familiar with all this stuff i mean probably more too familiar with it so it's for you it's not for me just to sit here making noises so that makes sense that's how i understand this what this this particular sutta is talking about this progression towards a tamayata this is a, relying on a tamayata one gives up ekagata upeka in this sutta nanata upeka is explained as equanimity towards forms sounds odors tastes touches and mind objects which implies the four meditative states known as the rupa jhana ekagata upeka is explained as equanimity dependent on the four immaterial absorptions arupa jhana to more easily understand what this means we may compare it with the common buddhist hierarchy of the sensual uh, karma pure material rupa and non-material arupa realms the ordinary worldling or thickster quote unquote so thick being being stupid uh, where's well, literally the word of the the word for a worldling putujana that's what it that's what it means in pali it's like a thick-headed one uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a fixter probably most of our our languages have similar terms <laughs> being thick being uh, dumb is that right ashin chiripala <laughs> in german and so being being dense in uh, english or thick um, so putujna the ordinary worldling or fixter Putujana clings to sensual experiences due to craving for sensual pleasures. One gets free of sensuality by relying on pure materiality, that is, steady concentration upon material objects, rupajana. Pure materiality is abandoned by relying on the arupajana. Finally, these exalted states of consciousness are abandoned through atamayata. So, uh, so the the interpretation that I was describing first of all, that's that's, that's trying to make it a bit more. Um, I'm still being true to the text, but making it a bit more tangible because I don't feel that these necessarily have to be tied to these jhana and arupa jhana uh, solely, as the way I, I read it. Um, but uh, rather, just in in the meditation where you are, um, say, experiencing that say the quality of with withdrawal or disentanglement that the mind letting go of of interest and identification and and slow, slowly and more uh, and more and more completely getting uh say uh, uh free of the engagement and attachment to to forms and thoughts and feelings and then the the mind getting more and more still awake spacious and uh, and free of, of identification and entanglement so, but I don't personally. I don't feel it has to be around. Um, it doesn't just refer to the rupa jhanas and arupa jhanas, like the these deep states of concentration. But it can also be relevant when there's a, 
a, a lesser degree of concentration, but it's through the development of, of insight uh, in relationship to sense experience and, and feeling. Finally, these exalted states of consciousness are abandoned through Atamayata. In the Sapurisa Sutta, which is Majima Sutta 113, the Buddha describes qualities of the quote-unquote good person, Sapurisa. Sat means good, like du means bad, Sat means good. Uh, or su, um, uh, or sat. And The good person who avoids indulging in and goes beyond the eight jhana through Atamayata. There is liberation from the asava, the eruptions, he calls them here. So that's the outflows or the corruptions, which is full awakening. Liberation from the asava, which is full awakening. The Buddha is reiterating his message that final liberation cannot be found in the temporary peace and bliss of deep meditative states, in any conditioned state or thing, for that matter. Tamayata is given precedence over the most sublime experiences that humanity can attain. Further, a tamayata, rather than mystical states, is offered as the means to liberation. Upeka is the highest of the seven bojanga, the factors of awakening. When the seven factors are developed successfully, they lead to the penetration of the object on which they are focused. Penetration, or direct spiritual experience, means awakening too, and deeply realizing the true nature of things. Yet the above sutta tells us that Atamayata takes the spiritual cultivator beyond even Upeka, beyond equanimity. The Buddha is saying that even Upeka is a state that can be clung to, even equanimity, which is like the, it's the, um, so it's a, the seventh on the list of the factors of enlightenment. It's also the tenth on the list of the ten parameters. Um, it's uh, also the fourth in the list of the four Brahma Viharas. So it's the fi- uh, that quality of equanimity or serenity. It's the final word of, of many teachings. It's like the most refined and most sort of uh, exalted and or spacious and blissful um, uh, quality of, of many of those those lists of spiritual qualities that uh, the Buddha um, enumerates. So even uh, the Buddha is saying that even upeka, equanimity, is a state that can be clung to, thus preventing liberation. Atamayata frees upeka, as well as the other six factors of enlightenment, and any wholesome dhamma that aids liberation from clinging and grasping. The mind with atamayata is not clinging and grasping. The mind with atamayata is not concocted by and does not rest in any state of mind all of which are impermanent, undependable, oppressive, uncontrollable, and unknowable, that is, void of selfhood. Sorry, and, and unownable, excuse me. So they are states of mind, impermanent, undependable, oppressive, uncontrollable, and unownable, that is, void of selfhood. And so again, that um, the uh, ending of the outflows, the the that uh, in a way that that the atamayata not made of that. So if you imagine that when the mind is is just knowing its own nature, it's not flowing out into any object, um, sense perception or a feeling or a thought or 
even an exalted state of, of blissfulness, it uh, it's not going out into anything. That's the the stopping of the outflows. Is like that. In a way, it's the total integration of of mind. The mind fully knowing its own nature, fully at home and and awake to its own nature. So this next section is called the last word of Buddhism. Uh, in the same um, uh, the same article. Why does Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu call Atamayata the quote, last word and final sword of Buddhism? Unquote. Based on the above interpretation, he puts Atamayata at the transition point between the Dhammatitinyana, insights into the reality of nature, and the Nibbana Jnana, insights regarding liberation and the realization of Nibbana. He explains this with a list of nine eyes the time meaning of ta or insights. The nine ta or jnana are so this is um, the uh, the three characteristics of existence anicca dukkha anatta are what many people are familiar with that, that list. So it said that those are qualities that every single aspect of nature, mental or physical, possess uh, those uh, those qualities. That anything, if it's a thing, it's it's in a state of change, it's uh, unsatisfactory, and it's not who and what we are. So anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not selfhood, selflessness. And then uh, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa then points out that uh, there are these other qualities, the um, making a whole list of nine that are similarly uh, uh, universal qualities of all aspects of the mental and and physical world and so he, he sort of groups them together you haven't just got three characteristics three characteristics of existence but uh, he lists them, lists them all together as as nine and say so the nine um, eyes or the nine ways of developing wisdom and reflecting on uh, on experience and the nature of, of the mental and physical domain through these eyes so anicca dukkha and anatta are the first three then the next three are dhamma, uh, dhamma titata, naturalness. So titati is the word to stand or to be established. Uh, titati, so like just physically standing up, that's called titati. Is a, it means to stand. So dhamma titata, naturalness, so standing in the dhamma. Then dhamma niyamata, niyama is a law or a rule or a, 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 a um, an established pattern. So the dhamma uh, niyamata, the lawfulness or uh, uh, acting in accordance with the laws of, of nature, the laws of dhamma. And then the third one of this group is iddapachayata, which means uh, uh, conditionality. Uh, that was uh, we, uh, something that we uh, addressed a few days ago, a week or two ago, with the teachings about uh, dependent origination. So this is the, the laws of cause and effect. So all experiences are uh, mental or physical or aspects of nature follow the laws of cause and effect and the laws of conditionality so uh, those those three dhammatitata dhammaniyamata idapachayata those act as a, as a group then the final uh, most refined three are sunyata voidness or emptiness tatata thusness or suchness like the, the Buddha's word for himself, Tathagata, uh, the one thus gone. So Tatata means 
suchness or thusness. And then the last one is atamayata, unconcoctability, not made of that. So a, a simple way of looking at those last three that uh, I, uh, I came up with for myself is that um, <coughs> uh, sunyata is reflecting that all that is empty. Every aspect of the, the uh, external, the objective realm, the subjective realm, the, uh, the mental world, the physical world, it's all empty. So it's saying no to everything. No, there's no thing there. And then uh, tatata, suchness, is saying yes. <laughs> uh, yes, th 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 there is this. Everything is such. Everything is thus. That uh, uh, That's the, uh, that, the uh, universal quality. So it's a uh, sunyata is saying no to the world of things. Tatata is saying yes to the world of things. And then Atamayata is saying there are no things. There, there is a, there is no that. Um, that uh, so that it's a uh, a kind of collapsing of that uh, subject-object uh, duality. The realization of these facts about the reality of nature leads to the fruits of liberation, which can be described by the following jnana or insight, knowledge, or realizations. Nipita, disenchantment, viraga, fading away of attachment, nirodha, quenching of dukkha, vimuti, release, liberation, visuddhi, purity, nibbana, coolness, the spiritual goal. The first list of insights describes an active penetration progressively deeper into the reality of conditioned things. The, the later list describes the results of that realization. So when that, that whole progress of, of say, das, the those have been uh, applied and that refinement of wisdom has been um, consummated or, or fulfilled, then what comes from that is nibida viraga, niroda, vimuti, visuti, nibbana. Disenchantment, fading away of attachment, uh, ending of dukkha, liberation, purity, and coolness of heart. The insight of a tamayata is the realization that there is no conditioned thing, object or state that can be depended upon. Contrary to the way we have learned to see things, they are powerless to concoct or affect us. They have no power to make us happy, safe, free from death, or whatever else we might desire. Then, why get concocted by them through foolishly relying upon them? From this realization, liberation naturally follows. So I'll read that again because it's, it's a refined point, really. Contrary to the way we have learned to see things, they are powerless things, are powerless to concoct or affect us. They have no power to make us happy, safe, free from death, or whatever else we might desire. Then why get concocted, why create a self out of things, through foolishly relying upon them? From this realization, liberation naturally follows. So to, to me, also, in, in reflecting on this and applying these principles in practice, it's a sort of profound independence, uh, as well as a freedom. There's a that the heart doesn't need anything, hasn't got to get rid of anything, hasn't got to, to do anything. But there's a, 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 a quality of, of wholeness, of completeness, that is uh, there, there's a, a part of it as well, as a, an, an integration. When the, the mind is awake, fully awake to its own nature, it's like, oh, there's this. <laughs> 
And it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't, doesn't imply a kind of passivity or insensitivity. There's not just, uh, I'm totally independent, I'm totally free and complete in and of myself. Uh, and then mm, that then forming a kind of um, a bubble where we become disconnected or, or out of out of tune with uh, with uh, the uh, the sense world. It's uh, rather the opposite is the case. But we'll address that in in due course. So just to finish the last of this um, this article that uh, uh, John Santikaro wrote. The last part is called Atamayata in practice. Atamayata is a way of understanding the reality of conditioned things. When insight progressively deepens through the nine eyes, then one realizes that there is nothing deserving of being concocted, affected, manipulated, or cooked and seasoned by us. By cultivating this understanding, human beings may liberate themselves from ignorance, from their attachments, from conflict and misery. The third and highest use of a tamayata is to signify the state of mind that is totally free, independent, liberated. Buddhadasa Bhikkhu prefers to describe this state of being as above and beyond positive or negative. Human beings instinctually feel and perceive all experience as either positive or negative. This leads to evaluating and judging those experiences, which turns into liking and disliking those experiences, which in turn fosters craving, attachment, selfishness. Thus arises dukkha, misery, pain, dissatisfaction. The mind that has gone beyond positive and negative cannot be pulled into the conditioned arising paticca of dukkha. Thus, Atamayata in this, its most proper sense, describes the reality of the Arahant, the worthy, undefiled one. Well, before going on, then, if there's any questions, thoughts? Arjun, the, um, the chat there said that they probably didn't have that in Japanese Buddhism. I wouldn't think that was correct, actually. Because, uh, in Japanese Buddhism, the word Mu is a very strong word. You know, it looks like a fist in Japanese calligraphy. And it means nothing is. And in Tendai, they would say that Nirvana is ultimate reality, being and non-being are mundane realities. And say in the, um, the Japanese would put that into a practice, so in saying in the Nonzo Mihoji, uh, they practice Tango Rai Hai, and that means I bow to the Buddha within you. But to truly do that, you have to bow to that person as if they were you, the Buddha within you. That's a very different, you know, it's very, people think, oh, what a silly thing to think, or to try, but when you see a monk actually do that, that someone would look at that monk and uh, that maybe they'd have had hatred or anger, and to see that person bow as if that person isn't there, but with true love, it's, a, it's an absolutely moving thing, you know, to not fear for their own life even, to, to see the Buddha within mm. all beings. I think it's, you know, that's how I would express it in Japanese, actually. Oh, thank you. The um, yeah that uh, I've seen and, and heard a number of um, dhamma talks and, and and things written about the koan mu, and it's saying yeah it doesn't mean no, but it's it's close to no, 
but it's not no as you know it. <laughs> and so in, it's a so it, it's interesting. I don't know how much uh, direct experience of of Zen Buddhism that uh, Ajahn Santikaro or Ajahn Buddhadasa had had. I mean, he'd read the Sutra of Huineng and Huangpo, and so there was a degree of understanding. Um, but uh, they wouldn't have had... Uh, there, there was an American Zen practitioner who was a close associate of Ajahn Buddhadasa in the early years of Suan Mok. And, uh, and that's the, it's interesting, Ajahn Buddhadasa said the one regret of his life was that that guy died young. That he was really he was really having a good time, <laughs> sort of picking his brains and learning from him, and uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa was like Mister Mister Upeka plus plus plus. He was he was like when you because I, uh, I was there at Suanmok for a couple of weeks when he was giving talks about this, and you know you might think this is pretty refined, abstruse stuff. Like wow, this is hard to to follow. This Atamayata. He would they they would have ten day retreats. For people, um, uh, first ten days of every month at Swamok, they still do. And uh, you'd sit there. He'd give a talk at five o'clock in the morning, and, I, and maybe half the people on the retreat, say you know, forty or fifty people, they're quite experienced meditators. The other forty are straight off the beach. They're like you know, still got kind of sand in their dreadlocks and you know, kind of still slightly kind of pungent from their their. Um, uh, Ganja and uh, he uh, he would be absolutely unfazed sitting there at five in the morning. You got like a hundred people of these with Ajahn Santikaro translating and giving exactly this kind of talk, talking about so details of a tamayata. It was and every day it was the same. You know, he would just go into these extraordinarily refined areas of, of Buddhist practice and philosophy and and. And he was completely cool. Like, and if you're talking to him, it's like talking to a mountain. There's like no expression. Is that? And uh, but he's also extremely responsive. It was a it was a weird mixture, because he had he was not emotive. He did nothing much showed in his expression, but he was he was really listening. And very attentive to the people around him, and would uh, engage very actively in, in in dialogue, but nothing showed. <laughs> so it would, it would sort of throw you off balance a bit. Like, well, is uh, is he is he with us? Is he not with us? How is he? So it was quite marvelous being around him as a as a teacher, even though it was very very brief for myself. And. Uh, and, but anyway, during that time I was there, uh, Ajahn Santikaro told us that the, the only regret that uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa has ever expressed about his life was that, you know, or the, uh, expressed some sort of um, uh, a disappointment or a sadness, was that this uh, American uh, Zen practitioner, he, he'd gone off to practice in a cave um, in a nearby place and had got an cerebral malaria and, uh, and died quite <clears throat> when he was still fairly young. And uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa said, "Yeah, we were having a good time. <laughs> it would have been, would have been good to keep that dialogue going. There was some, we were, we were getting into some good stuff there. And, uh, so that's the only thing that Ajahn Buddhadasa, about his whole life, he'd ever expressed any sort of disappointment or regret about. I don't think he was losing sleep over it, but uh, it was uh, that richness of uh, drawing upon the 
other Buddhist traditions. And I think also, if he'd met um, a uh, uh, similarly with Ajahn Chah, if they'd met some uh, somebody like Tulku Urgen or uh, the Dzogchen practitioners from the Tibetan tradition, they would similarly have a, had a really interesting time, yeah, picking each other's brains in a sort of dharmic fashion. Say that. When the Dalai Lama came to Thailand and he was in sort of difficulty on the case for him, I think the last invited him to the monastery. That's the only place he stayed. What year was that? I don't remember the details of it. It's ringing a faint bell, but then. well, maybe we'll just uh, that that leads us that leads us to the end of that passage. And before we go into the um, the passages from the Pali Canon that uh, uh, that he refers to, uh, in the, maybe let's read the first one. That's it's from Majima 113, which is the Sapurisa Sutta. So the references to Atamayata in the Pali Canon are few. Here are the two above-quoted passages from the Majima Nikaya as examples. A person who is not truly good enters and remains in the first jhana. They notice, I have gained the attainment of first jhana. They exalt themselves for that attainment. Like, look at me, I'm wonderful. They exalt themselves for that attainment of first jhana and they disparage others. Ha, <laughs> He's not as spiritual as I am. My my meditation is far superior to his <laughs> grubby attempts at meditation. Pa. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just inve- I'm just inventing a weird fantasy. That's you just described it perfectly. Just a, <laughs> it's just a bizarre fantasy that I'm conjuring up. This is a quality of a person who is not truly good. The truly good person notices the Blessed One has spoken of non-identification, non-fabrication, even with regard to the attainment of the first jhana. For, however they conceive it, the fact is ever other than that. So, making non-identification their focal point, they neither exalt themselves for that attainment of the first jhana, nor do they disparage others. This is the quality of a person who is truly good. However, you will recognize, O oh diligent students, you will recognize that, um, that sentence. What, uh, for however they conceive it, the fact is ever other than that. Again, this is the, that. Um, so the, um, we, we, we came across with, uh, with uh, the readings about conceiving manyati and creating the self uh, self view and uh, feeding the self image and so it's in this respect it's talking about the um, 
the mind grasping states of uh, blissfulness or spiritual achievement in terms of, of the jhanas and um, not creating an identity around that um, so that uh, they make non-identification their focal point so that they uh, the mind recognizes oh here there's the an I who's achieved this jhana is being created well that's that that's a that's a conceiving that's unsatisfactory and the 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 fact is other than that so that then that that insight into um uh conceiving that is sort of what triggers the the letting go and the non-identification so then those the refinement of meditation can be developed but without there being a, a me who's achieving a me who's practicing a me who's experiencing that those those particular states As I say here, the clause italicized above that, which I have that, uh, however they conceive it, the fact is ever other than that. The clause italicized above is a very famous and much discussed phrase in Theravada literature. It appears in a number of places in the Pali canon. The Pali original is yena yena hi manyanti tato tang hoti anyatati. Discussed extensively in Concept and Reality by Bhikkhunyananda, it is also quoted above in chapter 4. So again, Bhikkhunyananda, who wrote Magic of the Mind, another of his great books is called Concept and Reality, which is all about conceptual proliferation. And um, also, uh, uh, Sister Kemako just gave me uh, another couple of books that he's just done on uh, dependent origination, which I only saw for the first time. So he's uh, extremely, rather like, rather like Ajahn Buddha Dasa, he's both very gifted practitioner and and skilled and experienced practitioner but also a very good writer and so he and he draws on the suttas and his own experience and puts together his his writings very thoughtfully and very practically he's not just trying to dazzle you with how brilliant he is but rather explains things very helpfully and clearly so you can use the teachings um in a in a, a, a direct and uh, uh say practical way to inform your own efforts in, in meditation and understanding so I will leave it there for today with the reading but um, do we have any further questions or comments Ajahn. yes Ajahn Shah said um, Uh-huh. Um, I'm remembering the talk that you're referring to, and uh, it's uh, it's when the mind is trying to create uh, a me who's attained something, like uh, I mean, uh, and he's sort of using that anicca sanya, the perception of uncertainty as a way of um breaking up that that uh, uh identification habit and i think he, he says uh if the mind says i'm a sotapanna tell it not a sure thing he says i'm an anagami tell it, not a sure thing well, I think it's a it's a 
to me, I, what I, I hear when when when, that, when when reading the the text is, it's to do with how easily the the mind for the the perceptions of self form around um, those kind of things, attainment or about you know the levels of realize, um, of meditative absorption and such like and. And Ajahn Chah was particularly strong on that because it's such a, you know, we don't have money in the Sangha, but we do have attainments. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, how rich, or how, year, how many years you've been in robes, it becomes like, well, I've been in 38 years. Uh-huh. And you, how many? Not even 20, I mean, come on. <laughs> so... So you can judge each other by how many years you've been in rows, or you can judge each other by how good your meditation is, or uh, so that you don't have money, but you people rank each other all the time. So Ajahn Chah had a kind of campaign to he just wouldn't talk about those kind of um, levels of attainment or states of jhana. He just wouldn't inflate that at all or make anything out of it because he could see how people did judge each other or, or sort of um, create that. Uh, you know, complication and um, create obstructions for themselves about uh, about the the level of attainment and uh, the <laughs> there's this there's this great um, uh, passage in in uh, in um, Varapanya Paul Brighter's book Venerable Father uh, where um, uh, Varapanya asks, I think it was when they were traveling in the States together, and Varapanya was acting as Lumpur translator. And um, there, and Varapanya, I, I, can't, I haven't read it for a long time, but he says something to Lumpur Chah like, uh, uh, How can, uh, is there a really sure way that you can tell whether you're a Sotapanna or not? And Lumpur Chah turns to him and says, Sotapanna is fish sauce. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> And so he wasn't sure whether that was a profound teaching. <laughs> Fish sauce. This is, so the concept of sotapanna is just the flavouring. It's got no real substance, no, no nutritive substance. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> or, or was he just trying to give me a bad time, or just saying, "Shut up, Varapanya, you're an idiot." <laughs> what's he? And so anyway, that's all Lumpur said to him, and just sort of walked off. Sotapanna is fish sauce. And years later, this is another one that you know, like uh, like thunder and the thunder and rain quote. Um, years later, uh, I think it was um, George Sharp was visiting Thailand, and he said, uh, and he puzzled about that same passage in the book. He said, and I, I was in this restaurant, and they put this bottle of fish sauce on the table, and it's called Sotapanna. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Sotapanna is fish sauce. <laughs> right. And so it'd be exactly the kind of thing that Kampucha would latch onto. It's like both that it's, is, it is a brand of fish sauce, uh, that, but also that it's just when the mind hang, hangs on to an idea of it, then the idea of it is not the actuality. So that the word Nibbana is not Nibbana, it's just a word. And so that. Um, that people like to think in terms of attainment or have you know that this person's reached that level that person's reached that level or i want to be this and but so much of that is just rooted in self-view on sakayaditi and um there was another just to tell the clock is keeps going round it's amazing 
it's ten past already, but uh, just one last story. So, um, this monk came to visit Wat Bapong many years ago, and uh, he uh, was under the impression he was an anagami, a non-returner, which is like one notch below arahantship. So he was quite sort of <laughs> happy with his spiritual accomplishment, and so he went to go and pay respects to Lumpur Cha, and then made this sort of declaration. I wasn't there, so I can't tell how it was done, but he made this declaration to Lumpur Cha uh, that uh, he just wanted to let him know that he'd he'd reached this, uh, this very um, uh, 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 blissful and, uh, and noble level of, of a non-returner. And I uh, just wanted to inform Lumpur Cha and see if Lumpur Cha had any, any reflections or advice for him. And so Lumpur Chakra looked at him and said, uh, oh, that's interesting, uh, the village I come from, um, the, the word anagami also means mangy dog. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like Ajahn Buddha Das, Ajahn Chakra could have this kind of completely affectless expression, like you, could, you couldn't, sometimes he could, he could put on a face, you just couldn't read it. Is he joking? He's not joking. He's serious. He's serious. He's dead serious. No, he's joking. He's joking. He's joking. No, he's he's serious. <laughs> you couldn't tell. Yeah, it was just. And so, um, and he just said this. So in this very kind of matter of fact way, oh, man, yeah, anagami means in my village it means mangy dog as well. And then this uh, monk got really upset. <laughs> he says, you know, it's you know, this is really uh, you know. Inappropriate, and you know, I've come here out of respect, and I, you know, I've made these offerings, and and I've come to, you know, in all seriousness, and then you're making fun of me, and in front of all these people, and and got up, you know, gets up and stumps off, and and said, and I said, oh, it's a very angry anagami, <laughs> <laughs> but not usually so short-tempered. <laughs> No, <laughs> it demonstrated that uh, he, he was not. Uh, he hadn't reached the level he, that he thought he had. But so it was just Ajahn Chah was testing him. Okay, just run that past him and see what he does with it. And then because he took offence and, and got genuinely upset, well, okay, well that's uh, the the mind is attached to that as a as a an identity, and so therefore it's, the guy's overestimating his. Is a realization. People we do when you know they can tell themselves whatever level. That's it. That's not the thing, it? Well, it's a, it's a. I mean, it's it's a long subject, but uh, uh, so one time I, Ajahn Sumedha went to ask Lumpur Chah said, uh, and said, um, I had asked the same question as as Warapanya and said, uh, yeah. How do you know whether you reach stream entry or not? And Ajahn Chah said, if you're still doubting, you're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but also he said, uh, apparently, uh, again, I didn't hear it myself, but he said um, that even after he had... And he, Ajahn Chah would very, very rarely talk about this, this kind of area at all. But he did make a comment once, apparently, that uh, even after he'd reached Arahantship, he tested himself for for two or three years afterwards, just to see if if his mind would would get caught on anything or would react to anything. So just to sort of see if he could catch himself out. <laughs>
Uh, and then after after two or three years, he realized, okay, there's, there's nothing. To, there's nothing to test here. Did you say how he did it? Not to my knowledge. Anyway, there's are there's other stories, and it's moving towards quarter past already. So let's call it quits then.